continuing on in the book of Esther. We have made it to Esther chapter 4. We've been doing a chapter a week. We're going to slow down just a little bit in Esther chapter 4. There was a few, a few areas that I thought it'd be good if we expounded on a little, in a little greater detail in Esther 4. So we'll be in Esther 4 for probably three weeks. But today we're just going to read the first three verses. The first three verses, Esther chapter 4. Verses 1 through 3. I'll probably, probably reference and, and, and read several scriptures throughout the, throughout the sermon today. So uh, if, you, if I go through them too quickly and you don't get them, uh, please let me know afterwards. I'll be glad to, to let you know what they were. I always encourage you to read all the scriptures, but I know sometimes it might be a little tough to flip through them as we go on through a lot. But today we will, we will cover quite a few scriptures from both the Old Testament and the New Testament. But up to this point in the story of Esther, we've 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 kind of we've got to the main the main point. We the story is now is now uh, been made visible to us. We've seen what's going on. The king of of the the Medo-Persians, uh, Ahasuerus, got angry with his queen for not not coming when he called for. He he got rid of that queen. All the beautiful girls in the, in the area, or a lot of them, I should say, got together and, and the king got his pick of a new queen and he picked a, a Jewish girl by the name of Esther. But nobody really knew she was a Jewish girl and, and lo and behold, here this Jewish girl had become a queen in the land and, and the king had this official that he raised to a high position. His name was Haman. And Haman uh, wanted everybody to bow to him. That was what was supposed to happen. Everybody was supposed to bow and honor Haman. But Mordecai, the guy who raised Esther, who was her cousin, refused to do so. And the only real reason we see why that's the case in Scripture is because Mordecai was a Jew. And this infuriated Haman that Mordecai wouldn't bow to him. And he found out that Mordecai was a Jew. He said, I'm killing Mordecai. And not only that, but I'm killing all of the Jewish people in the area. And so Haman got the king's permission to do what he wanted to with the Jews, and he, he, sent out this, he sent out word throughout the land, and he said, hey, on this particular day, we are going to kill all the Jewish people. And so that gets us up to, the, to, the, to kind of the meat of the story. We see this, this problem unfolding before us. The Jews are in great danger. And Mordecai knows this. And as the word began to spread around the land, all of the other Jewish people, boy, they knew this was, this was serious. Their life was on the line. What were they going to do? And so that's, that's what we've seen up to this point in the story. So we'll pray, and then we'll read Esther 4, 1 through 3. Father God, we come to you. We thank you for these good words. And I pray that something we read today would, would speak to us, dear Lord that we would seek you in our greatest times of sorrow and our greatest times of distress and our greatest times of needs. God, that we would seek you with all of our heart. We won't be found guilty, dear Lord, of just going through the motions, just sitting on a pew or just saying words, but not saying them with a the right heart, God. That's, that's not what you want. You want us to earnest and humbly seek you with all that is within us. And God, we see that in our passage today, and I pray that you would help us to See that that's the way we live our life. God, I pray that you'd speak through me, hide me behind the cross, keep me humble. God, I pray that your words would come to my mouth today, help my mind to be sharp, to recall what you want me to say, and, and to be able to speak it accurately to your people. 
and to myself, dear Lord. I pray that your word will be a blessing to us, and I pray that you'll be glorified in this place. In Jesus' name I ask it. Amen. Amen. Esther chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. When Mordecai learned all that had occurred, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, went into the middle of the city and cried loudly and bitterly. He only went as far as the king's gate, since the law prohibited anyone wearing sackcloth from entering the king's gate. There was great mourning among the Jewish people in every province where the king's command and edict came. They fasted, wept, and lamented, and many lay on sackcloth and ashes. Let's go ahead and read verse 4 as well. Esther's female servants and her eunuchs came and reported the news to her, and the queen was overcome with fear. She sent clothes for Mordecai to wear so he could take off his sackcloth, but he did not accept them. Now, let's kind of pull ourselves away from the story of Esther for just a moment today and talk about what was occurring. Now, there was great great mourning and sadness and sorrow and, 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 and probably fear among the Jews in the land because of what was about to take place. Their, their life was in jeopardy because of Haman's hatred for them. And so we see this reflected here in Mordecai's, in Mordecai's response to getting this news. And, 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 and not just Mordecai probably, but, but many of the people in the land. It says that he put on sackcloth and ashes. Now, this is something that we see often in the Scripture. And often when we see these things mentioned, we see, we see fasting uh, mentioned alongside of these things. And we see it here in verse 3, that they fasted and wept and lamented in sackcloth and ashes. But what was the purpose of this, and why did people do this? Well, it was often done in, in a time of mourning when something was going on, when there was something that, that, that people needed to cry out to the Lord. Maybe they needed uh, to seek the Lord for something, for forgiveness of, for sins, of, of sins in particular. And so this, this type of language is not uncommon to us throughout Scripture. But, but what was the purpose of it, and, and how does it apply to our life? What are we to make of these things? Are we to, are we to wear sackcloth and and sit in ashes when we are in, in times of mourning or times of sin and times of repentance? Are we to continue to fast? What does Scripture say about that? Well, I felt like this would be a good day for us to discuss this topic since we see this taking place with Mordecai and the Jewish people in Esther. The command to fast for God's people in the Old Testament is not, it's not really as clear maybe as we would think it would be. I mean, you would think that this would be a very clear command since we see God's people doing this often uh, in Scripture, especially in the Old Testament and even into the New Testament. But, but really the command for fasting, so far as I can tell, now there may be a passage that I have missed, and, and, and should you find it, please let me know and I'll keep looking too. But so far as I can tell, the best I can, I can find as far as a command for God's people to fast goes comes in Leviticus chapter 16, verse 29. And this command was a command that was to take place once a year at a certain time, on the Day of Atonement. And we see in Leviticus chapter 16, verse 29, that it says, This is to be a permanent statute for you. In the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you are to practice self-denial and do no work, 
both the native and the foreigner who resides among you. So this idea of self-denial is where fasting comes from. Now, this may include withholding yourself from food, but it may also include withholding yourself from other things for a day. Uh, Essentially saying, I'm going to deny myself some pleasure that I typically would partake in in an effort to draw close to the Lord, to focus on the Lord, to seek the Lord on this day of atonement, on this day that my sins uh, may be forgiven. And this seems to be probably the best passage uh, that, that we would get this idea of fasting. And so typically when we think about fasting, we may think about uh, withholding a, a meal for a day or a couple of days or a period of time, whatever we have said. And that certainly is part of fasting. But, but when we think about the idea of fasting, we need to think of the bigger picture of what God really desires. And that is this idea of really focusing our attentions and our heart on Him. And so maybe there are other things in our life that sometimes draw our attention away from the Lord. And maybe there are times that we need to say, I'm going to deny myself not just food. Perhaps you like uh, uh, a certain sport or perhaps you like doing a certain hobby, whatever that hobby may be. I won't name them. We already got a little hot water this morning about naming hobbies that people may do or not do. But, but, but there are plenty of hobbies and things that may, that may take up our time. And maybe we say, God, for today... I'm going to deny myself this thing. I'm not going to watch TV today. I'm not going to... All right, I said I wasn't going to name things. All right, I am naming things. I'm not going to watch TV today. I'm not going to to play my video games today. I'm not going to do it for this week. I'm not going to do it for this month. I'm not going to fish this month. I'm not going to bowl this month. Whatever it may be, you know the things that you like to do that, that we really enjoy, and it's okay to enjoy things in this life. God called us to enjoy things in this life. But sometimes we may need to say, God, I'm going to, I'm going to deny myself that pleasure and I'm going to take a step back from that. I'm going to kind of, kind of get my mind free from focusing on that. Because a lot of times the things we like to do, we focus on. We can't wait to, to do that thing and we're thinking about that thing. How good am I going to do next time I do it? I, when am I going to get to do it again? And so if we say I'm not going to do this for a month, well, a lot of times that clears our mind because we're not thinking about it. Or maybe we are. But maybe if we still are, we need to say, okay, in this month of not doing this thing that I like to do, God, I'm going to focus on you. So there's this, there's this idea of self-denial, but, but it really ties back into not simply just denying ourselves something, but focusing on the Lord. If we just deny ourselves something, but don't focus on the Lord, we haven't really done anything. That's not what God's desire is. And so we see this idea in the Old Testament. The idea of sackcloth and ashes... We see that referenced in the book of Jeremiah. Uh, In Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 26, it says, uh, this is a message for Jeremiah to God's people. Uh, My dear people, dress yourselves in sackcloth and roll in the dust. Some of your translations would say ashes there. Mourn as you would for an only son, a bitter lament, for suddenly the destroyer will come on us. And so when we have sin in our life, there needs to be some some type of outward showing, usually a true repentant heart will outwardly show that there's some, that there's some, real, some real shame and some real sorrow for that sin that we've committed, some real grief. And, and, and again, you could, you could put on sackcloth, uh, kind of, a, kind of a, coarse, a, coarse, a coarse material, and you could sit in ashes all day, but if your heart is not really seeking the Lord and you're not repentant, 
If you sin and say, okay, I've sinned, I'm going I'm to put on some sackcloth and sit in ashes for an hour. Well, that doesn't do you any good if you're not really repentant. That's what Jeremiah was saying, that the people needed a repentant heart for the way that they had been acting and the things that they had been doing. And, and, and it should be obvious that they have that heart. So we see this idea of, of fasting, self-denial, and sackcloth and ashes in the Old Testament. And we see it here in our passage that we just read in Esther, this, this idea of sackcloth and ashes. And, and for good reason. Uh, here Mordecai was, he, he was, he was, he was weeping and, 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 and afraid of what was about to take place, this news that he had heard. Now, those are a few Old Testament references to sackcloth and ashes and, and fasting. But we see this idea of fasting carried through in the New Testament. Uh, for instance, at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, and you can read this passage in Matthew 4 or Luke 4, Jesus went into the wilderness and fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. And in that time, he was tempted by the devil. So here we see Jesus fasting. And so we may say, is fasting something that Christians should do? Well, I think probably so, because Jesus himself fasted. And, and we see fasting even later on in the New Testament, after uh, Jesus had been crucified and resurrected and his disciples are going into the world and people are becoming Christians. Uh, we see in Acts chapter 14, verse 23, that it says, when they had appointed elders in every church, that's the early church and the early Christians, when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And so, this was also uh, taking place at a good time as a way for people to really, really focus spiritually and be prepared and help people who, who are going into service of the Lord to be prepared. These elders would have been people who would have helped serve the Lord and probably been preaching and teaching in some way, have had some oversight and leadership in the body of believers. And what did they do over them? They prayed over them. They fasted over them. So this was a time of really seeking the Lord. And we see this idea of prayer mentioned often with fasting. Now, in the passage that we that we uh, just read in Esther, it's not it's not specifically pointed out to us that prayer went along with this with this sackcloth and ashes and fasting, but it but it it seems to be that 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 is kind of a given from when we read other passages of Scripture that talk about such things. One good example of that may be found in Joel chapter two. Now, that's in the Old Testament in Joel chapter 2. But in Joel chapter 2 and verses 12 through 14, it says, Even now, this is the Lord's declaration. Turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, weeping, and mourning. Okay, so this is exactly the same language we just saw in Esther. Fasting, weeping, and mourning. Prayer is not mentioned here, but let's read on a little further. In verse 13, Tear your hearts, not just your clothes, and return to the Lord your God. For he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, rich in faithful love, and he relents from sending disaster. Who knows? He may turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him so you can offer grain and wine to the Lord your God. All right? So here we see this idea that, that, that fasting and weeping and mourning is, is a way to to show us that God uh, 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 sees what we do. And God certainly hears our prayers when we pray to him, that when we pray that God may hear, that who knows, he may turn and relent and leave a blessing for us. 
And so we see lots of, lots of mention in Scripture where we see the idea of prayer and fasting uh, going together and sackcloth and ashes. Now, uh, that's not, I, I guess I didn't read far enough in that passage. So that's not the passage I was, I was intending to reference because, because later on and maybe in the next verse it says, and when he hears us, implying that, that God did hear, that the idea of, of prayer wasn't mentioned there, but the idea of God hearing the people was mentioned. And so uh, obviously it appears as though there was some type of prayer uh, in the Scripture and I'll try to find that scripture later and I'll let you know what it is uh, if you, if you want to know that. But the idea that, that prayer goes along with fasting and with mourning and with sackcloth and ashes does appear to be the case for us when we read the scripture. And that's what we see Mordecai and the people doing here. Now, what did we see that we've already kind of talked about in the, in the Joel passage? We see that God didn't want people just to rip their clothes, which also is something that people do sometimes. We see that mentioned in Scripture. But God wanted their hearts to be torn, their hearts to change. He didn't want them simply just to go through the motions of fasting. He desired for people to have a changed heart, a heart that would really seek Him. And in the case of Mordecai and the Jewish people, that's what we see is that their heart was genuinely seeking the Lord. Why? Because they were in trouble. They were in a hard time. They needed God's deliverance. They needed God's power. They needed God's strength. And so in seeking God, they, they fasted. They wore sackcloth and ashes. Now, we've already referenced a few passages that talk about fasting. Uh, one passage that talks about fasting in the New Testament is found in Mark chapter 9, verse 29. And that says, or in verse 28 and 29, after he went into a house, that is Jesus, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? That is the demon they were trying to drive out. And he told them this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. And so somebody had come uh, before the disciples and they couldn't drive a demon out. And, and, and they asked Jesus, why couldn't we do this? And he said this kind comes out only by prayer and by fasting. And so Jesus again seems to affirm that there is some spiritual benefit to the believer when they fast. That maybe there are some things that we are up against that really, uh, that really uh, cause us to, to need a, a, a more prayerful approach to it, a, 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 an approach where we are prayerful and we are fasting, where we are really seeking the Lord spiritually, where we are really trying to uh, get the strength of the Lord. We are really focused on the Lord. Now, uh, he said this kind doesn't come out by faith, but by prayer and fasting. And uh, this story is also in Matthew, and we can see that there's a lot of similarities there. But, but here Jesus seems to affirm that there are at least some occasions where prayer and fasting are still appropriate, even in the New Testament. And we see that that's also the case in the Acts passage that we read, that fasting was a part of, of the believers in the New Testament as well as followers of God in the Old Testament. And so fasting is good for us in some ways and sometimes. In what ways? Well, we probably need to let the Holy Spirit be our guide on that. Maybe there are times that we deny ourselves food, but, but, but not becoming legalistic when we do so to say, okay, well, on Tuesdays and Thursdays, I'm not going to eat. Well, that's okay as long as you're really doing that to seek the Lord. But if you're just doing it to say, I'm doing it so I can say I fasted, well, you're not, you're not doing it for any good. That's where the passage of Joel comes in. Don't just go through the motions, but, but come, come to the Lord with all of your heart. And we see Jesus talk about this idea in more detail uh, in Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, verses 14 and 19. If you want to turn there, you can. Matthew chapter 9. 
verses 14 through 19. Now, this, this particular passage may not be obvious to us uh, exactly what it means when we first read it. We may kind of scratch our head a little bit, but, but, but I think when we look at it and, and talk about it a little bit, it, 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 it may be a little clearer to us. And you may get it the first time you read it, but I know for me, I had to, I had to think about this the first few times I ever read this passage. Matthew chapter 9, verses 14 through 19. Matthew chapter 9, verse 14, says this. Then John's disciples came to him, that is Jesus, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not? So fasting was a, was a, was a big part of the religious, religious uh, community in that day. Uh, John's disciples and the Pharisees, now the Pharisees in particular, were a very religious group that Jesus called out on occasion, and we see that they were always coming against Jesus, and they always uh, did what, what was right on the outside, but Jesus constantly uh, addressed the fact that their heart was not right, that they did the right thing on the outside, but they weren't changing on the inside, and the inside is what matters. And so in this instance, we see that the Pharisees and John's disciples, they fasted often. But, but Jesus' disciples did not. Now, maybe they were just simply asking the question because they were curious. Maybe they were implying that Jesus' disciples were not, were not doing what they should do, that they should be fasting too. Uh, but they asked the question, and Jesus' response in verse 15, Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests be sad while the groom is with them? The time will come when the groom will be taken away from them, and they will fast. No one patches an old garment with unshrunk cloth because the patch pulls away from the garment and makes the tear worse. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the skins will burst. The wine spills out and the skins are ruined. But they put new wine into fresh skins and both are preserved. Now, Jesus takes something that, 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 that probably anybody that's familiar with these type of things, and we may not be quite as familiar with the wineskins and, and the wine. We, none of us may make wine, but maybe some of you have, or you're familiar with the process. But at the very least, you, a lot of you may be more familiar with the process of an unshrunk cloth. You sew a patch on something that's unshrunk. The material around it has already shrunk, and you sew your unshrunk patch, and you wash it, and the patch shrinks, and it pulls away. And so Jesus uses this illustration and this illustration about the wineskin. They ask him, why aren't your disciples fasting? And Jesus said, why do they need to fast right now? They are, they are, they are uh, wedding guests. They can't be sad when they're with the groom. Jesus is the groom. Uh, they are with Jesus. I mean, they are, they are as good as they can possibly be. I mean, how much better can you be and, and, and seeking to serve the Lord and live for Him than following Jesus Christ and listening to Him and being obedient to Him and, and learning from Him. The thing is, is that Jesus' disciples and those who were following Jesus were seeking to draw closer to God through Jesus. The problem with the Pharisees in particular is they were seeking to try to draw closer to God through their actions, through the fact that they went to the synagogue often, through the fact that they fasted often, through the fact that they said long prayers, through the fact that they put more money in the plate. These are all things the Scripture says the Pharisees did. 
and they were seeking to draw closer to God and earn God's favor by doing these outward things. But the followers of Jesus, his disciples, were seeking to draw closer to God by following Jesus, his son. And so there was, there was no need to fast. When you're in the presence of Jesus, when you're in the presence of the Son of God, there is no need to fast. There is no weeping. There is no mourning that needs to take place. You're in the presence of Jesus. And that's what heaven's going to be like when we're in the presence of Jesus. There will be no weeping and mourning. And so while the followers of Jesus were with Jesus, that wasn't a time for weeping and mourning. That was a time to rejoice and to seek the Lord. But Jesus uses these illustrations to say the Pharisees, the Pharisees, they're not getting it. They're not understanding because their old way, they're so rigid in their old ways. They're so rigid in following things by the book, they can't accept this, this new wine that's coming in. Why? Because they're old and they're rigid. You see, a new wineskin wine will expand. As the, as the new wine begins to expand, and, 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 and wine is kind of, it's kind of growing, it's, it's producing gases, it's kind of a living organism that's continuing to grow. And so it needs to be placed in something that continue to grow and continue to expand. And so a new wine skin can still expand with the new wine that's placed in it. But an old wine skin has already expanded to its limit. And so if you put new wine into an old wineskin, it can't accept it. It's just going to bust. And that was the problem with the Pharisees and those other religious folks, whoever they may have been, that were, that were focused on such a rigid structure. You see, that was the problem with Jesus. Jesus was trying to expand their horizons, and they didn't want to. They didn't want to, and so instead of, instead of changing their life so that they would be new people and say, whoa, God, we believe that this is your son. We want to hear what he has to say. They said, no, we have our structure. We have the things that we do, and we're going to do this thing this way, and Jesus, don't you come in here and tell us any different. And so they were old wineskins, but Jesus was bringing a new wine, a better wine. Jesus didn't come saying, okay, make sure you go to church once a week and make sure you fast twice a week and make sure you put X amount of dollars in the plate. That's not what Jesus came saying. Jesus came saying, hey, seek me, follow me. I'm the, one that, the only one that can, that can let you enter into the kingdom. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And they said, oh, no, we're not coming through you. We're going to keep doing our fasting. And Jesus said, that's not going to work. But those people who were following Jesus were not seeking to earn God's favor by their outward actions. They were seeking to be changed from inside. They were, they were, they were open to that. They were open to what Jesus said, and they followed him. So therefore, this new wine, this new teaching, which was not really new at all, it's what God really commanded all throughout the whole Bible, uh, this idea of a changed heart and to be obedient to God and to love other people, Jesus came preaching that, but they didn't want that, the Pharisees and the religious folks did. So we want to be those who are new. We want to be new wineskins that are able to grow because the Word of God and the Kingdom of God is something that's growing and the Holy Spirit wants to work in us that we would grow in the Lord. And those of us who seek God, then what we will do is we will continue to grow and we will continue to expand and we can do that because we're a new creation. But if we simply say, I just want to be religious then we'll be no better than the Pharisees who won't be able to accept and understand and learn uh, those new teachings. So Jesus said, hey, look, you fast just to do it, but, but my disciples don't have a need to fast. They're with me. But one day they will fast. 
One day there will be times of weeping and mourning, but not when they're in the presence of Jesus Christ. And so it is in our life. Perhaps there are times that we mourn, that we are in a time of sin, that we are in a time of sorrow, that we are in a time of difficulty, that we really need to seek God, that we really need to practice that self-denial that's talked about in Leviticus chapter 19, that we need to say, okay, God, I'm going to take a break from some of these worldly things. I'm going to put everything else on hold, my hobbies, my desires, even some things that may be, may be good like eating, and I'm going to put those things to the side for, the, for a day, for a week, for a month, so that I can focus on you because, God, I'm not focused on you. And, God, I want, I want you to change my heart. God, I come before you because I'm facing a difficulty. God, I come before you because an enemy is coming against me in the case of Mordecai. God, I'm coming before you because I have sinned. And so, God, I'm pushing away everything else in my life because I realize just how bad my sin is. And, God, I am going to seek you. And that's what God desires from us. And that's what Mordecai exhibited, a heart that really began to seek God. So when he mourned and when he fasted and when he, when he, when he wept and wore the sackcloth and ashes, he was showing that his heart was really seeking the Lord. And we need to make sure that our hearts are really seeking the Lord as well. In Isaiah chapter 58 verses 4 and 5, uh, God's kind of calling out his people for improper mourning. He says in Isaiah 58 4, you fast with contention and strife to strike viciously with your fist. You cannot fast as you do today, hoping to make your voice heard on high. Will the fast I choose be like this, a day for a person to deny himself, to bow his head like a reed and to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Will you call this a fast and a, a day acceptable to the Lord? Now, here in Isaiah, they were doing just what we've already talked about. They were doing all the, all the things that go along with fasting and sackcloth and ashes, but God says, look, you're doing these things with contention. God says, that's not the kind of fast that I desire. Now, fasting is not bad because we see that it's good for God's people in the Old Testament on many occasions, but not just going through the motions. That was a problem for some of God's people in Isaiah 58. It was a problem for some of God's people in the passage we just referenced in Matthew chapter 19, that they go through the motions without the change of heart. But God wants us to have a change of heart. And so if we're living in sin, and particularly, then perhaps this may be a time in our life that we need to say, God, I'm going to deny myself of some of the things of this world, specifically the sinful things, but also anything that may be drawing our attention away from God. And we see a good passage in, in Jonah. In Jonah chapter 3, verses 6 through 10. Jonah chapter 3, verses 6 through 10. God had sent Jonah to Nineveh to tell him that God was not happy with him. Now, the cap, Nineveh was the capital of Assyria, and the Assyrians were some bad folks. They did a lot of evil. Uh, as many, many people in Scripture did. Uh, but, but they were an evil people, and God sent Jonah to them to say, hey, look, I'm, I'm going to bring destruction on you. And Jonah, of course, was reluctant to, 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 to spread the message, and you may be familiar with the story of Jonah and the, and the whale, the big fish that ate Jonah. But eventually, Jonah called out to the Lord, and Jonah got out of the big fish, and he made his way to Nineveh, and he preached uh, the message that God wanted him to preach. And when the people of Nineveh heard the message... They had a proper response. Now, in Isaiah 58, we just saw God's people. They were, they were going through the motions, but they didn't have a proper response. And that's not to say that there weren't plenty of God's people who did. 
But in the instance of Isaiah 58, even sometimes God's people didn't have a proper response. But here these heathens, these, these, these people of Nineveh, listened to their response when they heard the word of God. In Jonah chapter 3, verses 6 through 10, it says, When word reached the king of Nineveh, he got up from his throne, took off his royal robe, put on sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Then he issued a decree in Nineveh. By order of the king and his nobles, no man or beast, herd or flock, is to taste anything at all. They must not eat or drink water. Furthermore, both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth, and everyone must call out earnestly to God. Each must turn from his evil ways and from the violence he is doing. Okay, so the king of Nineveh hears this news, and he tells everybody, hey, look, we got to change. This ain't right. We, 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 we not going to give ourselves any of, any of the things that, that we find pleasure. We're going to deny ourselves. No eating, no drinking. Put on your sackcloth. Sit in the ashes. We have, we have seriously messed up. We have not done what is right. And so he sends this command to all the people in Nineveh. And listen to what he says in verse 9. Who knows? God may turn and relent. He may turn from his burning anger so that we will not perish. Then God saw their actions, that they had turned from their evil ways. So God relented from the disaster he had threatened to do to them, and he did not do it. And so here the king of Nineveh says, who knows? Who knows? We, we, have, we have destruction's been, been announced to us. We have lived in sin, but let us repent. That's, that's what he did. He repented. He told the people to repent. Who knows? God may relent. He may not give, give us this, this sentence that has been passed on us. And indeed, when God saw the heart of the king of Nineveh, God did relent and didn't bring destruction on Nineveh at that time. That's the same language we saw in Joel, that Joel talked about with, the, uh, with, with fasting and weeping and mourning. In verse 14 of Joel 2, he said, Who knows? He may turn and relent. Okay, so we see a theme here. God is not happy when we live in sin. But when we repent and come and seek God with our heart and our actions show that, and we deny ourselves and push away the sinful things and the things of this world, but seek God with all we are, we have evidence in the story of Jonah that God does hear those prayers if we come to him and seek him with all our heart. And we can repent. And that's what we need to understand when we talk about fasting, when we talk about weeping, when we talk about sackcloth and ashes. Now, I don't know that we necessarily need to wear sackcloth and sit in ashes, but I know this. We need to seek God with all of our heart. We need to come to God and say, okay, God, when there's something in our life that is sinful, then we need to repent of that. And we don't need to keep doing it. We need to say, God, I'm giving this to you. When there are things in our life that draw our attention away from God, we need to say, okay, God, I'm going to take a break from this for a while, for a day, for a week, for a month, for a year. We need to say, God, I'm going to, I'm going to stop these things that are, that are keeping me from you, and I'm going to seek you with all of my heart. And we need to make sure that we do that with all of our heart. We also need to check ourselves and make sure that we are not guilty of what God's people in Isaiah 58 were, just going through the motions what many of the Pharisees that we see in the New Testament were, just going through the motions. God does not care about our motions. He does not care about, he does not care about our diet. If we, if we simply fast for a day and don't eat and don't seek the Lord, all we're doing is dieting for a day. That's 
not what God desires. God does not want us to change our diet. That's not what fasting is about. God wants us to change our heart. That is what fasting, that is what self-denial, that is what repentance, that is what seeking God is about. It's about changing our heart. And that's what God desires. And so maybe it's sin. Maybe it's being legalistic and going through the motions without seeking God. Maybe Maybe there's a hard time you're going through in life, a big decision that you need to make. People who are coming against you where your life is in danger or you're fearful in the same way that Mordecai was. There are lots of experiences in life where we need to say, God, this is the time that I really need to seek you. And sometimes the best way for us to do that is to push other things to the side and say, God, this time is yours. This time I'm seeking you. And when we seek him, we'll find him. And when we seek him, he'll change our heart. And that's what Jesus came to do was to change hearts. And Jesus wants to change your heart today. Maybe you're living in sin today. And maybe today is the day that you need to repent. Don't be that old wineskin. Don't be that person that says, I am who I am. I ain't going to change. Don't be that person that says, I'm religious and that's good enough. But be that person that says, God, I need you to make me a new creation in Christ. I want to take in your word that's living and breathing so that it can grow in me and so that I can expand as it expands and I can be the person you want me to be. God, let me seek you with all my heart. God, I repent of my sins and I seek you and I trust you. And that's what God wants. And when we pray to God with a pure heart, God hears those prayers. And so we want to make sure that in our times of need, just as Mordecai and the Jewish people did, that they seek God with all of their heart. And let us be found faithful to do the same. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you and thank you for these words. And God, I pray that you would help us to, to seek you. Because God, honestly, there are, there are things in our life that, that we really do focus a lot of our time and attention on. And so God, maybe there are some things that you've convicted some of us of today. And if that's the case, then let us kind of push those things to the side. Let us take a break from those things. And let us not just stop doing them for the sake of stop doing them, but God, let us push aside the sin and let us seek you. God, don't, don't let us be religious. It's so easy for us to fall into that trap. We do things in the same way on the same times, and we, we do this, and we things become routine. And God, routine is not necessarily bad, but sometimes we can, we can get... So caught up with the routine, we, we forget about you, dear Lord. And that's, that's true in our lives. That's true in our church services. So, God, let, let us not fall into the trap of routine that we just become religious. But, God, let us really seek you. Let us, let us seek you to change our heart. Let us seek you for repentance. Let us seek you when we are in times of, of trouble, dear Lord, as Mordecai was. But, God, most of all, when we do seek you, let us seek you with all of our heart. Because God, we can come here today and we can read your word. We can say, we can say good things. We can even sit in ashes and wear sackcloth. We can skip a meal for a week, dear Lord. But that's not going to help us if we don't have a changed heart. So God, maybe there's one in here today and their heart has never been changed. They've never accepted Jesus. God, I pray that today that they do so. God, we know our sins. If we're honest, we know what they are. We don't even have to think. You already convict us of them. So God, maybe if there's one here today that is not yours, 
that's just been living in sin and seeking, seeking satisfaction from that, that today they'd repent. That they'd come to Jesus and put their faith in Jesus as your son, as the Savior of the world, who was crucified and resurrected and victorious. And God, maybe there's some in here today and they really are yours, but maybe they just need to seek you. Maybe they hadn't been doing it. I pray today that they do it. I pray today that they do it with all their heart. God, I thank you for your words, and I pray that something we read today for each one of us will stick in our heart, we'd remember it, and you'd use it to help us to grow in you. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.